0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses
1: and the people who lead them.
0: Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., and we're broadcasting to you today live from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, Joe Puzz, PMO Joe, and for the next hour... We'll be talking project management with our special guests. Also want to say thank you to our sponsor, the PMO Squad. Uh, The PMO Squad is home of the Purpose Driven PMO and also PMO as a Service. To learn more about the PMO Squad and all they have to offer, go out to www.thepmosquad.com and learn about Purpose Driven PMO, PMO as a Service, PMO Training, and all other PM services also want to take a moment to talk briefly here about International Project Management Day. The International Institute of Learning is hosting an online conference November 7th, and you can go out to their website now, iil.com, and on their homepage, you'll see a link to the IPM Day online conference. You can go out there and register for that now. We have a fantastic partnership with IIL, And they have a opportunity for service members, veterans, and their spouses to sign up to that conference for free. So if you use code VPMMA, which is the Veteran Project Manager Mentoring Alliance, you will get free uh, membership onto that conference. A great lineup of speakers. The president of PMI will be speaking. Harold Kirzner will be talking, Jay Leroy Ward, and many others, including myself, Along with Eric Wright, Uh, Eric and I are co-founders of VPMMA, and our organization as a nonprofit. We'll be talking about the power of mentoring and how within our project management community we can give back and serve those who have served us. For everybody, again, that's November 7th. Uh, Go out there and register today. And I am super excited to have two great guests with us today. And one is a repeat guest that we had a technical difficulty last time he was on. So welcome, Colin Ellis and Charity Carr, for joining. I appreciate you joining us today.
1: Thank you. Thank you,
0: Joe. Good to be back. Yes, hopefully this one goes a little better. Technical difficulties <laughs> on our side last time, and uh, we lost that connection. in the the uh, telephone I, game from Australia isn't easy when you're that far away. I remember joining in,
1: kind of making some kind of joke, and then that was it. I thought the joke was that bad that you guys just turned and me. I was like, no. <laughs> connection's gone you can never come back okay right (laughs) yes
0: so apologize for that but thanks for coming back and if you want to take a a minute again here to introduce yourself to the audience and let us know a little bit about who you are and what you've got going on sure
1: thanks Joe I uh I I guess I help organizations around the world change the way that they deliver projects I do that these days through public speaking so I'm a professional project management speaker and Travel to events all over the place, heading to Africa in in a few weeks' time to do a speech there. Uh, I do programs, project management development programs, which are quite unlike everybody else's because they focus on some of the thorny stuff that we miss off. Uh, And I write books. And so my latest project management book was out on July the 1st called The Project Book. Uh, But I've also written a book on uh, workplace culture called Culture Fix, which will be out on October the 1st. So that's a little bit about me. I'm originally from, from Liverpool in, in England. That'll, that will come through, for those of you who are familiar with the English accent. Every now and again, I'll sound like Ringo Starr from the Beatles. Um, <laughs> but now I live in Melbourne, Australia.
0: All right. Thanks for it. And, and when we first chatted, of course, I heard Liverpool and I had to ask you every Beatles question I knew. So I'm <laughs> sure you get that all the time as well. I've done those, yeah. yeah. Nice little stroll down <laughs> Abbey Road, right? Or we'll hit That's right, fields. That's and- right. All right, Charity, uh, t- if you could introduce yourself as well.
2: Well, I haven't traveled anywhere exotic, so I'm from Arizona and I'm still in Arizona. Uh, I've been in the design and construction industry for the last 15 years, focused on uh, mostly healthcare. And basically, for me, it's been a whirlwind of different perspectives. So I've been on the design side, the contractor side, and now I'm on the owner side, currently working for Mayo Clinic. Uh, I actually work for a third-party project management company called Olympus Construction Management. So we we contract to a variety of healthcare systems across the valley and in multiple other adjacent states as well. And our focus is patient care. Uh, For me personally, i My daughter had cancer at a very young age, and so I started volunteering in the hospitals. And I've been able to collectively over the years be able to connect both my volunteer work with my professional work. And so for me, patient care, I'm very passionate about it, and I'm able to do that and make an impact in people's lives. And so,
0: Well, it's great to have you here, and I know when we first talked, you're also a volunteer with Make-A-Wish, and we've had Jessica Mm -hmm. from Make-A-Wish on the show as well, so I know there's a connection there.
2: Great organization.
0: And and you mentioned you haven't been anywhere fun, but we know you just had a recent birthday and you were down in Mexico, so you were having a yes. little fun at least, right? Yes,
2: but that's so close. I mean, just a few hours away, so I haven't been to Australia or Africa or any of those places. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to one day, though. Absolutely.
1: And when was your birthday, Charity? Uh,
2: September
0: 16th.
1: So. Oh, so mine was September 11th. So it's the oh, birthday episode. Yes, oh, yeah, the I I We would all
0: wear hats if I know that was the case. Right? <laughs> All right. So let's dig in. Let's talk some project management. And Colin, let's, you know, you mentioned the, the book. I've got a copy of the book. Thanks for sending that my way. And I loved it. It was, it's, I guess it's a non-traditional project management book and it was a good read. Can you share with everybody a little bit about that and, and why you wrote that and, and why you wrote it the way you wrote it?
1: Well, you know, Joe, i kind of been in the project management business for 20 years. I started out as a project manager for year 2000. Or like, you know, the running joke with year 2000. Every time I talk about year 2000, I'm like, who remembers it? And all these people go up, hands go up. And then usually someone's like, it was a big red herring. I'm like, no, no, no. It was people like me that saved the world. You know, you're all welcome. <laughs> right. um, and, and at the time, I was hired because I was good with people and I was good with teams. That was, you know, I had nothing to do with risk management. I had nothing to do with a work breakdown structure. And You know, the emphasis at that point was on building relationships. They were the first real, I guess you would call, digital transformation projects, certainly on that scale. And so I had to learn the ropes pretty quickly. But the ropes for me were all about, well, how do I change the way that I communicate? How do I influence stakeholders? Um, How do I build teams that want to get the job done? And we had so much to do in such a short space of time. And, so, you, know, at, you know, at the time, I remember going to the library, uh, online shopping wasn't a thing way back then, and, you know, looking for books on project management. And they were very old-fashioned, Joe, and it was, you know, they were very technical, obviously, project management as its uh, genesis in construction and engineering and latterly software development. And there was nothing really i guess that i could learn from and and so what i ended up doing was looking and finding role models within the businesses that i worked with and watched the way that they communicated watched the way that they built teams some of the things that they did and i guess fast forward you know 20 years what i wanted to write was the book that told project managers all the stuff that all of the theory textbooks don't. You know, how to be the best version of yourself, how to create a little bit of fun, how to use music to motivate, why social interaction is important. All of these little things that... for me, are the important part of project management, uh, because it is still a people business. And and so you really do have to show up, you know, and I I talked at a conference recently, I said to project managers, your worst day has to be better than everybody else's best day. Because, you know, kind of from a matrix management perspective, your job is to inspire and motivate. So you have to be a little bit vulnerable, a little bit humble, all of these very human things. And you have to know how to create an environment and then maintain an environment that people want to be a part of. So my motivation in writing the book was to actually bring to the fore all of the important stuff about project management. So even though there is some theory at the back, you know, to help people manage risk and work breakdown structure and all that good stuff, it's it's the human stuff um, that I wanted to write about. And I didn't want it to be boring. I wanted it to be short chapters so that people could dip in and out and, you know, they could go back and get a reminder of one one guy showed me his copy recently and it was all dog eared. Even though it's only been out a couple of months, there's <laughs> post-it notes everywhere. Um, You know, just so that people could have some fun while they're reading it, but know that there's some stuff that they could do uh, as and when they need to go back to it.
2: I think that's really great perspective, Colin, because what I've seen collectively in the industry is really good project managers key in on the people, because what we do is we're organizing teams. And so if we understand the personality types of each individual person on our team and where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, and how we structure that team so that we put them in the positions where they're going to do their greatest and then you, they get inspired by that. They get motivated by that. They get excited about that. And then you really see your team come to life. So I can definitely get behind everything that you're saying.
1: And, and what you, what I've always asked this, this question of, of project managers or, or, or leaders, even when I talk at conferences and I say, you know, tell me about the best project manager or program manager you've ever known. What did they do? The attributes they list are always human attributes. And then I say to them, okay, what kind of development have you done in this area? And then they list the the certificates that they've got. I'm like, but what you just explained, none of those certificates cover that. It's about you learning from other people. It's about you moderating your own behavior and even agreeing with the team, how you'll work together. All of those things are so crucially important. And they forget, get forgotten time and time again. And you know, the development programs I run, it's two days and it's all about emotional intelligence and team building the two for me the two things that make me successful as a project manager you still have to all have all the technical stuff as well mm-hmm. you know otherwise you get oh colin's a lovely guy but he has not got a clue um so uh yeah, but emotional intelligence and team building, they're, they're principally the things that I talk about in project management because we've underinvested in, in them for years.
2: I would say some of my greatest mentors historically have been those who have taken time and sat down with me and wanted to get to know who I was. And so you have those offline conversations that were not necessarily work related. But it was more so that they were trying to understand what motivated me, what interests me, and then they just capitalize on that. And I think that human element, adding that to each relationship that you have with your team members is so critical.
1: Yeah, yeah. And... and Empath- you know, what you're talking about there is empathy, mm-hmm. and it's a skill that every single person needs today. I mean, it's a skill that, we, you know, we recognize in the leaders from the past, but, you know, we used to, we talk about emotional intelligence and, we, you know, we still call them soft skills. These are the hardest things to learn to become empathetic. You know, Daniel Goleman wrote the book on emotional intelligence and he said the more open we are to our own emotions, the more skilled we will be in reading others' feelings. So it's about recognizing your own emotion in order to open yourself up to building a relationship with somebody else. charity, exactly as you said, and you know, when, when, when you feel like the other person gets you, not only can they motivate you, but also they can push you too, you know, because we all do our best work on the edge of uncomfortable. Uh, and so it's really, really important that we get to know each other to the point where you're able to kind of get 5% more out of each other because that's where we, we get success.
0: And, and what I, I love against yeah, my my show, so what I love about my show is that we don't talk about the technical pieces of project management, right? You know, we've had Roger Haskett on, we've had Ruth Pierce on, uh, Elise Stevens, uh, Julia Steele, Others where we're talking about the soft side, again, which is really the hard side, but we're talking about people, right? Steve Fulmer, another one, neuroscience and and understanding how the brain works and how people work. Because if we can't motivate and if we can't influence and if we can't get others to do things, we fail as project managers. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I love this discussion because it's it's really tying into what separates the good from the great because we don't remember the good PMs. Right. But we do remember the great and Colin, great advice to ask, what was it that you remembered about those great PMs And as takeaways for the audience? Right. Recognize yeah. what other people are keying in on, because that's where you need to make your improvements.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, I don't know if you, you know Rick Morris, Rick, uh, project management speaker over there. Uh, we I spoke at an event in Spokane earlier this year, and he and I had a couple of whiskeys uh, after the conference. And we talked about things like influence, which is a real direction that, that Rick's taking his work. And you can only ever influence anybody if you spend the time to get the note, get to know them outside of the work that you're doing. And so I think, you know, and having listened to episodes of the show, Joe, the fact that we are talking more about um, the important people skills, I think is a positive because the PMI in the pulse of the profession this year said, you know, up front, you know, right at the start of the report, it said despite all of the talk, project performance isn't getting any better. And of course it isn't, because you've still got organizations that are focusing on the wrong things. They're still going for quick fix. Let's send everyone on a certification course to tick the box that we take project management seriously. And it's not that we shouldn't do that. We should. But recognize that that's only the technical skills. It's the emotional skills that will make the difference.
0: Well, the next time you're stateside and you're looking for somebody to have some whiskey with, you look me up. I'd love to sit down and have some, right? One more, a, a, a final question before we, we jump off the book. But uh, again, it, you treat it as if it's a fun topic and you, and you do have a playlist at the end of the book, right? I think it's the first book I've read uh, that included the music you were listening to while you were writing, right? What was yeah. the kind of the mindset of including that in the book?
1: Because I don't think enough people, Joe, m- kind of make the book writing process public. And so on LinkedIn, which is, you know, if, if people are interested to connect, I'd love to connect on LinkedIn. Please do that. You know, I shared an um, image of me. I was on holiday um, and, you know, family, have ruined so many family holidays writing books, you know, and, and explained my process. And also for me as an extrovert, I, I need noise, I need people. So I would write books in cafes, I would uh, I'd write my books in, you know, swimming pools here in Australia on holiday. Um, and and what I wanted to do was to provide a little section at the back, and, and you write about the fun, is every time I read a book, it felt like, oh my God, it feels difficult to read, so it must have been difficult to write. I had a huge amount of fun writing my book. I read so many great books and I put a book list in the back of all of the good books that I read in order to write my book. And I also wanted to include the music that I was listening to because I went through various moods and kind of went through various stages, you know, um, and all of all of the music, I wanted to kind of acknowledge the fact that all of the people that had written all of this music equally
0: inspired me at various stages when I was writing. And it's quite the eclectic list too, right? I was trying to, <laughs> Uh, I actually read the, the list before I read the book. So I was trying to understand <laughs> who you were by your music before I could get in. And, and I couldn't tell. It was it, You did a great job listening to it. It such a diverse set of music. It was awesome. Thank you. I I, I had a guy uh, at a conference who said to me, he's like,
1: how is it you like Vivaldi and Daft Punk? I was like, hey, what can I say? I go
0: through different (laughs) stages. (laughs) You know, you had mentioned earlier uh, PMI and the pulse of the profession and the data we get from that. And before the show, Charity and I were talking a little bit about uh, the construction project management is really almost uh, not present in PMI these days, right? There's such a focus on... Uh, the IT component, the technical project management and less on construction, which is, as you mentioned, Conrad, one of the birthplaces of project management. So charity, share with us a little bit about your, your vision and your future and your story through project management and the construction side, because actually we've had guests, I'm sorry, listeners who've written to me and say, how come nobody's ever talking about construction project management or infrastructure project management? So, thank you for representing the entire industry it's up to you now the pressure's on
2: oh well it's it seems like a huge industry but really it's it's a close knit group uh, you run across the same people for years and years and years they may change Companies, but really, at least the healthcare niche that I'm in specifically, uh, it's been the same people over the last 15 years that I've been in the industry. So, very, very close knit group. Into typically, people who get into healthcare, design and construction, stay in it. It's mostly people who are very passionate about healthcare in general. So, you get a lot of very focused and dedicated people specifically in that industry. But from a connectivity perspective, we have a series of project management style symposiums that are mostly geared towards how project teams interact. I, I don't know if you guys have talked previously about strength finders and, and those types of programs to work on collaborate collaboration on your teams and how those teams are structured. We get into a lot of stuff like that. Uh, also with uh, CASHI and some of those types of healthcare-specific organizations, those are prominent in our specific industry. PMI, I, as I mentioned before, I hadn't heard of that group before, so I'm definitely planning on looking into it and figuring out what that's all about. And so it's kind of interesting that construction isn't represented within that group. So I, I'm always looking for new information and networking opportunities to expand our reach and growth and bring in new innovations into our teams and figure out how we can do things better. What's already happening in the industry that we're not aware of that would benefit our teams in construction.
0: And, and I find, I'm again, I, I'm amazed at times on the show from the wisdom that I get from the guests. And to hear a guest with a long history of project management say that she's not familiar with PMI is a surprise to me, Colin, right? That means there's an entire sector within this construction space that the largest project management organization in the world isn't working to bring into their fold, right? And it's
1: have- a, Yeah, it's, it's fascinating uh,
0: to me, Joe, because we've got different institutions
1: around the world doing different things. I'd argue that the, the the ones that you gravitate towards are the ones that add real and measurable value. And I think the PMI has found itself in a in a little bit of a quandary, uh, because obviously what we've got is this real kind of emphasis on certification programs. But the fact that their own uh, results point to the fact that things haven't improved for 20 years, despite their best efforts, is a kind of indicator that the world of project management really does have to evolve and it can't be about an institution anymore. What it has to be is about collections of individuals sharing. What I love about your podcast and other people's podcasts is that what we're doing is creating communities of practice around the world that are, you know, desperately trying to upskill through sh- the sharing of knowledge, through sharing of failure and the things that work. Uh, some great, you know, I remember reading Anthony Massino's book, um, Emotional Intelligence for Project Managers, and it really turned a light on for me because it's like nothing I'd ever read before in any textbook uh, kind of ever in, in project management. And so the fact that there's no awareness in construction of, of PMI, it, you know, for me is a, is both an opportunity but it's also um, a, a point that they're making to say hey listen maybe maybe it's not relevant maybe the textbooks it's time for it's time for us to update you know kind of the advice that we're given because actually if it really really worked everybody would be using it
0: and I try to draw parallels between things when chair and I were talking well in advance of the show way back when you had brought up IPDs mm-hmm. and I was like what's an IPD I don't know what that is. Share with our audience what what it is.
2: Absolutely. So IPD stands for Integrated Project Delivery, which seems to be a buzz in the design and construction industry right now. There is true IPD, and then there's a term that's also loosely used as IPD Lite. So a true IPD project is connected to an IFOA contract, which you have your design contractor and your owner and then major trade partners all part of a general agreement, so it's shared risk. Uh, IPD Lite is the teams in the design and construction industry recognizing that the IPD process itself is so beneficial to a project that we don't want to go the contractual route, but we want to incorporate those mythologies into our project teams and how we run our projects. So so for me personally, the IPD light route is what I've seen most prominent in the industry. And basically what that looks like is you bring your design team, your contractor, and the owner, and then your major trade partners, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, and structural, and you bring them into a a big room setting. And they're co-located into that space for a series of days each week. And you're working through the design documents. So you're bringing both the design elements, you can have your engineers, and on the constructability side, the guys who are actually going to be out in the field building The design, right? So you bring them all together in a room and you work through all of those issues that would typically come up in the field. And so you just the level of collaboration that this process allows for, its cost savings, its um, schedule savings. Usually your design process is. Uh, longer than a traditional project delivery method, and then your construction timeline is shorter, which saves cost significantly because you typically get the GCs for an extended schedule duration for that. But... Typically, what we're referring to when we say IPD is it's really that integrated team of having all those key players in the room at one time so that as you're working through the design documents, you're really building a solid set that once you get out into the field, you should have minimal RFIs. You should be minimizing um, existing conditions, issues, and constructability issues in the field. It also opens up a lot of opportunities for prefabrication for cost savings as well.
0: I guess it's a little bit of the measure twice and cut once mentality, yeah. right? Let's get it right up front so we don't have to, you know, fix a mistake down the road.
2: Yes. And and typically what happens, too, is you have a certain level of, say, the first month that you get your team together, you're really going through and identifying your strengths of your team. So you're trying to strategically place people into different cluster, which are focus groups on different parts of the building. And you're putting different personality types together to make those meetings successful. Um, It might not necessarily be all of your expert contents in one cluster group. It might be somebody who's really good at note-taking and structuring a meeting and that sort of thing and just leading that effort so that the expert content or the content experts can really sort out and make decisions. So that's part of the process. And then another term is called pull planning. I don't know if you guys have heard that strategy. No. Huh? <laughs> also, people call it the sticky note strategy. So you basically take the end of the schedule and you pull back. And so you have a big board and you put up sticky notes and you basically outline all of the uh, milestones and then you drill down to specific deliverables and then tasks. So you really, as you're working through the pull planning effort... And you see that, say, your mechanical design is that design deliverable is going to push a couple of days. You can visually see the sequence of all of the other items on the schedule that are going to push as a result of that. So, that's another strategy for kind of um, lean construction or lean principles of really working through and dialing in your timelines.
1: Mm, I mean, that last one sounds a bit like. Kind of work breakdown structures and all of that good stuff. I, just as just as you were talking, then Charity, I did a quick Google search <laughs> um, of integrated project delivery, and you know, it, lots of these things for me are. The real common sense, if you want to deliver a project, what you're going to do is get everybody together. Sorry, I don't want that to sound like I'm putting it down. It's not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's all great stuff. It's common sense. Why are you making such a big deal? No, I don't mean that. Um, it, This is all of the important stuff is where you get people together. You get you share kind of different personality types. You know, that's some of the work that I do too. Um, you get, get agreement on what it is that we've got to do. You work through the design and all of that. I'm just reading it here. Fascinating, and and this is all the stuff that everybody should know how to do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether you're working in construction, because the IPD here is as relevant for construction as it is for software development. Yeah. Absolutely, it is.
0: That's what when
1: Sharon um, agile. Yeah, that's, that's
0: what I was going when Charity and I talked way a couple months back. That's exactly what I said. She described it, and I, I yeah. was like, "Man, we do that in software. We just don't call it an IPD, and we we kind of break it up into segments." right? And how smart to be able to have the planning and foresight to bring the teams together on that, whereas in the technology space, oftentimes those teams are siloed, right? And Colin, to your point, in the agile mindset, you're trying to bring those teams together and get prototypes out. And uh, I was talking before the show with Jared, I was like, well, you know, you're not going to prototype a hospital, but you guys do prototype, right? We
2: do mock-ups, yes, for important elements. Uh, We have a a mock-up tent or we have a mock-up space and we will actually, sometimes we do a full build out of a patient room and it can be true fixtures and a bed in there just because we want the proponents or also known as the user groups to be able to go into that space, which is the doctors and nurses and people who are going to be living and breathing into that room, but then to physically feel what it is like to work in that space before you multiply it, you know, a thousand times if you're doing a ton of patient rooms. And then also to that effect, um, workspaces is a huge thing. Uh, physician workspaces, how they're, if they're going to be spending a tremendous amount of time within these workspaces, making sure that they're comfortable, making sure it uh, has everything that they need in there. So we, we do a ton of mock-ups.
0: And, and just to share with everybody to understand the scope, Everybody is familiar with the Mayo Clinic, right? We've all heard that name before. But what is the scale and scope of the project that you're working on now?
2: So with Mayo Clinic, they are part of, and I believe this has all been publicized, but it's a it's called Arizona Bold Forward. And they are basically, it's the North Phoenix campus, and they are doubling the size of the campus over the next three years. So the project specifically that I'm working on is a research and education building project, and it's about um, 150,000 square foot building, standalone building. And it's one of the, actually the first on that campus. All the other projects are expanding the existing hospital specialty building and clinic as it stands right now.
0: I mean, I ran a PMO for a healthcare provider in Georgia for a couple of years, so I'm pretty familiar with uh, healthcare project management, um, both the construction side and the technology side. And such an important component of that was the culture of the healthcare setting to know that we as project managers or operational workers, the, the kind of the tactical people on the ground, everything we're doing is for patient care. Mm-hmm. And that culture is so prevalent. And that doesn't really carry forward, Colin, into most organizations, right? I know you're big on culture and you really push that. What's your been your experience?
1: Yeah, very big on culture, um, Joe. Mainly because when the projects that I was part of that uh, that were successful, it's because we had a really great team. Um, and I think you know one of the unique opportunities that project managers have, regardless of what they're doing around the world, is to create something that just works. That not only functions effectively, where everybody understands each other, we get the job done, all of the good stuff. But also takes into consideration that the culture that they're delivering into. Um, there's a lot of you know talk about change management and cultural evolution and you know why I wrote my latest book, Culture Fix, is because there's no how-to guide. For culture, And so I, I figured I would write it. Why not? I had nothing else to do. Um, and so I, what I wanted to demonstrate that it's within anybody's grasp to create the kind of culture that they need to get the job done. But crucially, it has to contribute to the organisation's culture, regardless of where you're delivering into, because cultures can only evolve positively if, if whatever we deliver not only contributes product or buildings or materials or whatever it is that we're building, but also something into the culture so that we can look back and we do this unconsciously. We say, oh, that project was great because, and its legacy was, and it's the legacy of a project is usually the way that people talk together. So you know, when I was listening to Charity talk about kind of IPD, what you know, what those projects are doing are really creating a legacy around collaboration, around co-location, around addressing issues as they arrive. You know, address, I guess, a culture of discipline um, to make sure we get things done. And they're the important things that if we get the culture right on our project, um, it contributes to the, the organization's culture such that it's able to positively evolve as a result of uh, change activity.
2: Yeah, that's a really great point. In fact, it's really interesting that you say that. We were just having discussions this morning talking about team culture and how important that is to implement a healthy team culture within our project team and working through a team charter and really developing what everybody wants from the project. Where How do we align everybody's goals on the project and make sure that we're all headed the same way at, towards a successful project?
1: And and most of my work now, Charity, is two days at the start of large programs or I work with individual departments or organizations, two days to agree the culture before you start anything. So we don't talk about any of the technical detail, we don't talk about the strategy, the goals, we don't talk about milestones. All we talk about is culture and the end of the two days, what I do is I produce a culture deck. So the so the the, the team has its own culture deck is this is how we'll work together, this is how we'll behave, these are some of the principles that we'll hold it. Here's the vision that we have for this project and for ourselves. And that agreement over, and, and, and the reason that it's two days is over the two days, you get to understand and know each other. So the big part of that is personality profiling, but done, done very simply. Communication, how to change different communication styles, because you need all of that before you start. Most organisations, what they do is something breaks within their project, and they go, "Oh, the team's not working. Oh, we need, we need to have, a, we need to have an away day to really team build." No, the team building is done at the start, so that you don't ever need it throughout the project. You can hold uh, once you do it at the start as well. You can hold each other to the behaviours that you've agreed; those very human things. Otherwise, everyone just, you know, kind of walks to the sound of their own drum um, and, and you don't, you never get the connectedness and togetherness. Um, so, yeah, it's important to do that culture at the start um, before it's too late.
2: Yeah, that's a perfect connection to what we were talking about earlier with the human element and really understanding your team and realizing that what we do is all about people. And that directly connects to what we do on our side, too, of developing that team charter because those couple of days that you mentioned, Colin, I completely agree. You can't jump into the details of the project unless you have an alignment on your team and making sure that everybody understands the why. Why are we here? Why are we doing this? So once you get everybody on board and they understand the why, then you get that buy-in and you guys can all come together and start heading towards a common goal. It's so important.
0: Yeah, and from from our perspective, right, with the PMO squad, we've now branded, right, purpose-driven PMO, right? That is how we operate. And PMO traditionally has always been project management office. But when we go work with our clients now, it's purpose measure optimize. What was the purpose of the project and or our organization? Measure, are we actually achieving the purpose? Let's not just create metrics to create metrics. Is it really based on purpose? And then optimize our budget, our team, our process, our technology to ensure we're achieving purpose. The world's evolving. And Colin mentioned before how for 20 years, we've been stagnant in the project management industry with success rates because we've kept to the same measures and we've kept to the same way of doing business. But it's all about the purpose, right? Every show we have, and we bring on these people who are talking about the human side of projects, it comes down to purpose. So for us, the change that we're working with our clients on now is exactly that. Let's achieve purpose. Let's not try to achieve a project. Let's try to achieve a purpose. And when you do that, the culture of the team rallies around that, and we've had great success with that. Yeah,
1: because you create it up front, Joe. So you create something that people want to be a part of, and I think it was Deloitte earlier this year found that the the number one thing that millennials are looking for in their roles now is purpose. Purpose before salary. They still want to be well paid but purpose before salary. They want to know what an organization or a project stands for. They want to understand that role. They want to feel connected to something. They want to build relationships with people. They want to know that people have got their backs and will elevate them and challenge them so that they can grow. And, and that's what they want. And if we, and if you don't do that up front, you know, and I've got a you know, big bee in my bonnet about the fact that we still measure projects on the very things that change time and cost. Mm-hmm. Time and cost are not measures of success. Stakeholder engagement, how happy the people are within the team, kind of that happiness factor. And, um, you know, that's way more important than time and cost. And yet we still use them as measures of project success.
0: Yeah, we I was at a uh, business dinner last night, and the CIO from Make-A-Wish was there, Bippin, and he was saying we were talking about employee retention And how how does he keep employees at Make-A-Wish? It's a nonprofit organization that just can't pay people what other organizations for profit can. And the thing that they've found is that the people who come work at Make-A-Wish, obviously they care about salary, but they don't care about their salary. They're there for the purpose of what Make-A-Wish represents. Mm -hmm. And he said those people are so motivated and so ingrained into what the culture of the organization is that they're able to produce probably better than they would if it was just chasing the money right so colin you just you just talked about that and then the deloitte survey backed up by a real cio's assessment from a conversation last evening
1: yeah it's true and and you know i'm working with a not for profit here who've got a really strong purpose but they let their culture stagnate joe so they ended up losing good staff. And I was speaking to the CEO a few weeks back. He's like, oh, I'm really not sure how we got to this point. I'm like, okay, tell me what you've done over the last six months to positively evolve your culture. Because your purpose is strong. You know, you're working with homeless. the are homeless. Uh, so, you know, your purpose is strong. But what have you done to positively evolve the culture? And they've done, they've done nothing. And of course, they talk about most people talk about culture being the most important thing, but they never spend any money, they never spend any time on it. As like it's the little things that make a real difference. It's the stories we tell each other, it's the way that we interact on a daily basis. You know, it's how we talk about the work that we do. And so you've got to have the two hand in hand because as soon as you lose that kind of real strong culture, is people lose sight of the purpose and then you'll end up losing your good people. So, you know, having a strong purpose is one thing, but then building a culture to back it up, that's how you really keep the people that you need in order to continue to grow and be successful.
2: To your point, too, when you were talking about schedule and budget, something that came up most recently on our project team that really resonated with me, and that was related to perspective. So it seems like budget and schedule and certain things on a project can come with a negative connotation. Right. You just immediately hear and you're like, oh, we have to stick to the budget or we're past schedule. So what we've talked about most recently is turning that into a a positive. Right. We're, We're excited that we have this much money to build this building. You know, and just really changing how we talk about things because ultimately how we project that information out into the group is gonna frame our culture. Right. If we're if we're approaching things with a positive context to it, we're we're in filtering our team with positivity and really generating that culture that we will make everybody happy
1: ultimately. Yeah. And, it, it, and that's so important, Charity, that, that as a team, you build positivity. You know, what I what I see in, in organizations and for large projects and programs where people tell me that the culture is broken is you've got a bunch of senior managers refocusing people on time and cost and telling them to be positive channel just doesn't work you know especially if they're extroverted telling introverts to be positive oh yeah that'll work come on Colin be positive oh my god been negative for 20 years I just needed an extrovert to tell me to be positive um you know in great cultures what those people do is they build and create their own positivity and they focus on happiness I'm working with a what can I call them energy drink company supremely positive high amounts of energy n- not just related to their product and what they focus on in their projects and what we, we've really turned it around is if we focus on staff engagement within the project and staff happiness within the project you naturally get the results who knew that culture could produce those results so it's less about time and cost and more about uh, engagement and happiness I love
0: this. And so let me, let's take our crystal balls out, right? We've, you know, here in the States and across the pond over there in Australia, we're going to look into the future now. And we're talking about culture of what's not working well today and how we need more culture. So does the future for project management look different? I mean, what does it look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years? Will we still be looking at the triple constraint or, I mean, what are we going to be looking at? No, I don't think so, Joe.
1: I think if we want to positively evolve, we have to move away from some of the old-fashioned ideas that we have, and they are old-fashioned. You know, I'm not, I'm not scared to say that because I'm as, a, as an industry, I want us to recognise that actually. You know, we need to move the focus away from sending people on method courses mm-hmm. and, you know, putting some common sense back into the industry and the common sense. And, you know, you look at the next generation of people, they want to be connected to purpose. They want to be connected to culture. And these are the things that we have to emphasize. But we have to recognize that not all of that can be trained. We need to provide. And, you know, again, this is why I wrote the book. We need to provide people with the information information and that they need to be the best version of themselves in the context of the year that they live in. You know, what looked a good project manager in 1989 looks completely different than in 2019 uh, because the world has changed and what people expect has changed. You know, we we do everything now by recommendations and five star this and three star that and four star that. Everything is about experience. And so for project management to evolve, we have to focus on Giving people the knowledge so that they understand who they are, what they stand for, what they're about, what values they have and how they can bring their best, most authentic self to work and how to build great culture that people want to be part of such that it gets results. You know, I think it was Victor Frankl who wrote about Man's Search for, for Meaning. You know, if you focus on achieving the result, the chances are you're going to miss it. And so I think what we need to focus on is all of the things that will contribute to the result. And once we get those right, I think we'll, we'll be in a better space uh, for our projects to be more successful.
2: I think in the design and construction industry that over the last, I would say, five years or so, I've seen the that culture changing significantly. A lot of firms are really investing in their employees, just, just even going in their offices, having um, breakout space, uh, casual space. Uh, Game rooms, you know, just really trying to emphasize employee happiness, right? Uh, to avoid burnout, mostly is what I think happens in our industry. But collectively, That's even with so our, yeah, collectively with our teams with the integrated project delivery methods in and of itself, I mean, that's taken our industry by storm. A lot of teams now having gone through that process, they don't want to do a project any differently because they've seen the benefits of it and they just like that human connection and they like that collaboration in that type of environment. It's very uplifting and positive.
1: It's so it's so great to hear the the, the investment in culture, um, but but it not being done as a kind of quick fix you know i joke all the time on stage about people who want to go agile and joey will know more about this um they want to go agile and all they do is they pull down all of the kind of barriers between desks everyone goes open plan proven not to work yeah they implement table tennis tables then people tell people they can't play on them during the day um, you know, and, and it's like that it's just a quick fix that they saw Spotify do and thought, oh, yeah, we'll do it rather than actually invest in the time to say, OK, well, what is it that's going to make teams happy? You know, how about we ask them and then trust and empower them to, you know, kind of get on and do the work themselves and the work. If they build that culture, then as you as you rightly say, charity,
0: they get the job done. Yeah, you know, we had a uh, previous guest on Nicholas Breesen from uh, Germany was on with some great police sirens in the background so it sounded like a Bond movie. But he had talked about his tool, Stereo, which is a tool used to capture survey information from stakeholders and team members and capturing that on a recurring basis throughout the life of the project. And it's a great tool for the future of project management, right, to understand that collecting that input on a recurring, consistent basis is how the team can communicate and improve. So when we have these discussions of the PM of the future, right, it's what other tools are we going to use, right? Today it's, you know, Microsoft Project and Clarity (laughs) This and PlanView That and uh, RAID logs and and all that stuff. But it's more than that, right? What are the tools to help connect the people? And how are we going to do that? And I don't think we do a good enough job with tools today either.
2: That's that's actually a very good discussion topic because living in a world right now where everything is technology – right? What does technology do? It it connects you to people, but not on an emotional level, on a technical level, right? So I'm finding nowadays, I'll get an email from somebody sitting next to me, right? In lieu of that person walking over and having a discussion with me. So you tend to lose that human element. So how, uh, when you're talking about PMs of the future and talking about team culture and trying to create those synergies within your team, how do you get away from but not completely away from technology, but utilize it to where it's efficient and effective, but not losing that human element.
1: So great to hear someone else say that, Charity. <laughs> I feel like I've been saying that until I'm blowing my face. Actually, we need less technology for, me, for communication and we need more human interaction. Um, I think it's great that we want to kind of capture the pulse of a team, but the best way to do that is to get them together once a month get them to share you know, kind of what they're anxious about, what they're happy about, um, get them to talk about, well, as a team, what do we need in order to be uh, continuously successful moving forward? Technology is there to support the business of good delivery, um, but communication works best when it's face-to-face or when you can hear another human being's voice. And we're doing so much uh, to destroy communication uh, through the use of technology. Don't get me wrong, you know, I'm very forward thinking. I love uh, tools like Slack, and I know Microsoft Teams is, it can be really, really helpful for those short interactions, but nothing can replace face-to-face conversation.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking back to um, one of our prior guests, Michael Donnelly, who's the PMO Director locally here in Phoenix for Silicon Valley Bank. And he had talked about when he was starting the PMO or trying to improve the PMO, went out to his customers within the business and said, what are we doing good? What can we do better? Right? I mean, to your point, Connor, right? he went out and asked that question. And it wasn't through a survey. It wasn't through a tool. It was a human interaction uh, and got the feedback. And then it was up to him and the organization to be able to deliver what his customers were told him they needed. Uh, and he's had great success out there. So it, there's great examples of, the actual practical application of this, right? Not just the theory that we can talk about on a radio show.
1: Yeah, that's right. And and those customers will remember that he did that, Joe. They'll remember that he came out, drove out, sat down, and you know asked, actually asked for feedback, um, and then obviously went away and did something about it. And and that's what's memorable. We we get kind of spammed with surveys every single day that are that are just not memorable, but that human interaction always is.
0: Colin, you had mentioned Agile, and you know, it's of course, as we all know, it's here to save the world, right? I mean, it's going to make everything better. What's your perspective on how Agile will play into all this? So, and I said things, that Joe. tongue in cheek, of course, yeah. if you're going to pick up on that.
1: Uh, so, a couple of things is, is firstly, uh, what we should consistently be doing within our workplace cultures doesn't matter whether it's project management, whatever it is is looking at uh, the, the technical skills that are relevant to today that can help us deliver business as usual and projects in a more efficient way. We should absolutely be doing that. However, much like many methods before, we're now commoditizing Agile, and as I mentioned earlier, people are using it as a quick fix. Some of the some of the principles of Agile, if you go back to 2001 in the Agile Manifesto, there's not a single mention of the fact that someone needs to create a standard training course, roll it out, and we should give everybody a certificate in it. I've, I've talked to organizations around the world who've sent their people on an Agile training course and said, everyone's been on the Agile course, but we're still not Agile. Have you got any ideas? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. You thought it would change every. You thought it would change the fixed mindsets of people, but it's never going to do that. And so I think, you know, yes, it's important that we look for better, smarter ways to do things. And iterative delivery is something that we were doing a long time ago. Uh, But we have to be wary of commoditizing these things. You know, there was a survey done in, in two years ago. When 96% of UK CIOs said Agile had already failed them, well, Agile hasn't failed them, but the fixed mindsets of people most definitely had. And those people had done nothing to evolve positively evolve their cultures to encourage uh, new and smarter ways of working.
2: Yeah, to that point, it's uh, there are no one-size-fits-all solution, right? So when you try to implement... Um, Because I've gone through some certification classes, and you get books, and you talk about processes, and you have these very strict outlines of how you should run meetings and how many minutes you should allocate towards each thing. But the problem with that is that you have multiple personality types, and I don't know if you guys have heard of uh, True Colors. Have, have you guys no, done that? No,
0: that one, no. No? Isn't <laughs> a I've, Cindy I've it song? It's, <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, it's a really great uh, personality test, and it's it's a really simple one. It only focuses on four uh, color types. And so basically, and we've done this recently on a variety of projects, just really understanding the different people and understanding these different personality types. And And honestly, some people do not work well in those structures. You have those out-of-the-box thinkers who get their biggest innovative ideas in uh, those just outspoken collaborative environments that are not held to a structure. And then you have other personality types who really work well in that with the checklists and going from one item to the next and having a full outline. So you just, to this discussion topic, I, I really don't think that there's a a true solution of a one size fits all. It's really, you have to go back to that team element and really understanding who your team members are and how they best work and then modifying your culture and your structure based on that.
0: I probably could say this at the end of every show, but it just comes down to people, right? (laughs) If we got better at managing people and being a person and stop trying to be a project manager, we probably could deliver our projects better and and we haven't yet figured out the magic elixir right to really go do that and i know colin you're traveling the world trying to spread that that magic elixir and try to get people to do that better but what's the how do we get there faster how do we get there better it's a very good question you know i i
1: kind of talk around the world, uh, Joe, uh, there is no magic elixir. And I think that's what people want. That's why they invest in certification programs. That's why they, you know, they, they send people away for three to five days. They come back and they think, yes, everything's going to be different. Um, and so, you know, the only way this is going to positively evolve is is by people like us Um, And others who share the the same views, and there have been many on on your show, Joe, continue to talk about the power of humans and the fact that, you know, as humans, we're hardwired to work together. And what we need to do to make anything successful is define how. How are we going to do that up front and then hold each other accountable throughout? You know, only through emotionally intelligent people who are engaged, not not just in their work, but what the organization's uh, trying to achieve. Do we get these vibrant cultures of success and we need to flip the model where we put the emphasis on people and culture first supported by methods and tools Mm -hmm. once we get that right then that, that that will then become the magic elixir
2: Yep. Communication. Just keep on talking about it. Keep on infiltrating it in our teams. And then once people have those experiences, and like you said, Colin, earlier, just at the end of a project that was a really great project, the culture, the entire process, you know, that's going to filter out to their next project and their next project team. And they're going to take some of those things that they learned just by working in those collaborative environments, and they're going to pay that forward into their next team
0: the joy of this show is how fast it goes because the content is so rich and the personalities are so strong. The, the downside is, man, we're up already. I cannot believe this show is over. I truly have enjoyed this and I think it's been a great conversation. So thank you both for coming on today. Colin, before we sign off, any last thoughts that you want to share with the listeners or anything upcoming that they need to be aware of?
1: last thought is is you know for everyone to really take a look at themselves and ask themselves how they can be the best version how they can bring of themselves how they can bring that to work every day how they can be a positive influence not just on the people around them but on the culture um i'll be in the states but um in a few weeks i'm in i'm in vegas for three days new york for a couple of days if anyone's listening from new york wants to catch up for coffee connect with me on linkedin would love to do that i've got a few hours to spare. Um, otherwise feel free to connect, um, on LinkedIn as I, you know, I, I like to share things that, that people can do, practical things that people can do.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for a uh, repeat visit, Colin. I appreciate it. Uh, also, uh, you Anytime. didn't mention, but I'll may, I hope this is okay. Can we plug something that you have upcoming? Oh yeah, of course you can. Yeah. So, so I think this, it must've been this podcast that spurred you, of course. Uh, but you're, you're ready to kick off in October, your own podcast. Is that correct? It
1: is. uh, Yeah, yeah, I haven't gone public on this yet. So I'm starting a Culture Makers podcast uh, mid-October. My aim is to interview senior business leaders who've made a positive impact on culture. So if anyone's listening and they know any senior business leaders, they'd like to provide an introduction. I've already got a couple of great uh, interviews uh, in the bag, one with Atlassian. Atlassian, a big Australian software company, doing fabulous things. I also spoke to Ben Kirshner, who's the CEO of Elite SEM, or what was known as Elite SEM, Digital Marketing Agency in, in the US. So yeah, that'll be uh, starting May,
0: mid-October, so look after that. Awesome. Congratulations to that. And Charity, any last words of wisdom for the audience or how can folks get in touch with you? Anything coming on? What, what should we be looking for with you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say, Colin and Joe, it's been a pleasure just chatting with you and hearing like-minded people trying to change the project management industry for the for the good over the next few years. But for me, um, you can reach me on LinkedIn, Charity Car. So that's my best point of contact with that. And really, what I'd like to leave with everybody is similar to what Colin said, is just recognizing the people that you're working with. And as a good project manager, what I've discovered is... Recognizing those talents and trying to encourage people and motivate people to be their best selves. When you said that, Colin, it's it really resonated with me because I believe that wholeheartedly. And then also something else I'd like to encourage people to do is if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. So really putting yourself into those positions that are out of your comfort level so that you have opportunities to grow.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much. That's and awesome. yeah. here locally in the Valley, right, as we see the buildings go up over at Mayo Clinic, Uh, everybody recognize that they're not just going up by themselves. There's people like charity that are out there that are making that happen. And project managers are changing the world one building at a time or one company at a time. So thank you both for being on. Uh, Of course, thank you always to our listeners for making us a successful show and podcast. We appreciate everything that you provide to us. Our next show will be Thursday, October 3rd. We're going to have Bruce Kilburn and Carol Osterweil with us. Carol will be joining us live from the UK as we continue to get input from around the world. Uh, and we've got a great lineup of guests coming up uh, in the months to come, including Berber Troutline, Rich Maltzman, Jim Stewart, Laura Burford, Andrew Maynard, Janelle Lee, Stacey Sellier, Lisa Levy, uh, and so much more. And uh, just announced and confirmed our last show of this year, I'm going to switch seats. I'm going to be the guest, and we're going to have somebody interview me. So that's going to be an interesting show. or At least for me, it'll be interesting. I don't know about all of you. Uh, and then, of course, these shows are recorded. We're, we're live now, but they're recorded, so you can catch the podcast and be sure to subscribe and put a rating and a review out there. Uh, Project Management Office Hours podcast on the Apple podcast platform, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker. I think last I checked, we were the number one project management podcast on iHeartRadio, so that's kind of cool. And, of course, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad. Please be sure to visit PMOSquad.com to learn more about the purpose-driven PMO, PMO as a service, and all of their project management uh, tools and services they offer. So that's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours.